This week on Trek Mary Kill, Data, Lore, Dad, next. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, Commander Data's out of control. He's gone far enough, Data. Lives are in danger. We cannot even call for help. He's being controlled by a mysterious scientist. This is why I've brought you here, Data. And comes face to face with an evil brother. Deadly Reunion on Star Trek The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Craig. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, Star Trek podcast that asks the question, how many roles is too many roles for Brent Spiner to play in a single hour of television? This week, we continue our Star Trek Picard season three preparation with brothers from season four of The Next Generation. And joining me is Craig Calcaterra, a writer who focuses primarily on baseball, previously with NBC Sports for over a decade, and now on his Substack Cup of Coffee. He's also written a book on sports fandom, which I think has a lot of parallels to Star Trek fandom, to be honest. Uh, That book is called Rethinking Fandom. No Star Trek in it, as far as I can remember, which you can buy now, Rethinking Fandom. He's also a huge Star Trek fan. That's why he's here. Craig, thanks so much for being on. Well, thank you for having me. And if if I get a second edition of the book, I'll put an epilogue about Star Trek fandom in it. Thanks so much for being here. How did you get into Star Trek? Do you was this something from your childhood or uh, kind of? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm like 49 years old. I'm I'm an old man, and uh, <laughs> so my first memories of Star Trek were there was a UHF station in Detroit. I lived outside of Detroit when I was a little kid. Channel 50 WKBD in Detroit that would just play every syndicated possible thing you could play. And in late afternoons after school, they would play original series episodes. And I'm not going to say I jumped into it and was like, oh, yeah, this is great because, you know, I was like eight or something. And I, you know, I appreciated some of it. I didn't appreciate it at all. But I, I got to the idea of knowing what Star Trek was. And as the movies started coming out, I was the age where you just go see any movie at all. And I think what really hooked me was Wrath of Khan um, at the theater, like, you know, when I was not very old. Um, and so I was into it, but I was never like that hardcore or, you know, original series guy. And when Next Generation came on, I was interested. I figured like this is a get in on the ground floor thing. And I just started watching it and I watched every single episode when it came on, you know, every week in syndication uh, from the beginning of the series until the end. And uh, you were mentioning in the before we started recording that you haven't watched it, you know, you haven't watched it very much recently. And then you were watching in preparation for this episode and you had to explain yourself basically. (laughs) Yeah. What's all about. I mean, it's been a while part of partially because there's so much to watch partially because I didn't have Paramount plus for a while, um, you know, or I don't really flip a lot of TV. So I'm not turning on BBC America or wherever they're showing things. So it's been a few years. And then in prep for this podcast, I, I turned it on. We now have Paramount Plus. And yeah. uh, I uh, partially for this, but also because there's a show about soft rock in the 80s that uh, just came out. Soon. That's <laughs> really important. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we have priorities here. That's right. Uh, and so I'm watching Brothers and, uh, you know, Allison, my wife, she's younger than me and she was never into Star Trek really at all. And she sort of like looked over my shoulder at what I was watching. And she's like, is that the same guy? And we'll get into what that means. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yes. And um, 
and then she said something to the effect of, you know, like the Beavis and Butthead line of these effects aren't very special. I'm like, come on, it was, you know, 1990, <laughs> give me a break. And that led to a big conversation about how things age and how things don't age well. And, you know, some Star Trek stuff ages well, some not so well. This one holds up pretty good, though. I think so. I mean, motion control in in television in 1980s, early 90s, pretty uncommon. And they're using that to record the same guy playing three roles. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, your wife's point is well taken. We have a whole grade about what's most of its time quality for that exact purpose. Um, this, yeah, I don't remember watching this episode when it first came out, or I think I remember being very confused because this is a, basically when I had started watching Star Trek regularly. So I hadn't seen Data Lore the first oh. episode with lore. So I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very clear what's going on. Like it explains it all, but it, at the same time, it's like, Oh, I didn't realize there was a history going on. It was so fun because this was around the time when to the extent it ever did next generation got into somewhat serialization. It was never anything like it is now, but you know, there, I remember when best of both worlds came out and then they can sort of continued it on with family, which was the episode that aired right before this one, you know, I'm watching this in real time in, you know, between this is the fall of my senior year in high school is when this came out. Best of both worlds was the summer in between that I waited all summer for it to resolve. Um, and it was for me, I had a weekend by the way. Oh yeah. See, that's the <laughs> I, watching I, I cannot explain to you how crazy it is to be sitting in, you know, late spring 1990 with your girlfriend who was also into Star Trek at the time. And then it just ends with fire and then to be continued. You're like, Oh my God. And you have to wait like three months. It was crazy. Had, had you read any of that stuff about Patrick Stewart and contract negotiations and that Maybe this was all sort of setting up for his exit from the show. Like, did you I, have that in your mind? or? I think I was vaguely aware of it. We used to get USA Today, and I think there might have been a little blurb in the life section about that. But it, it wasn't like we would now where we'd all be like, you know, armchair writers rooming That's it right. or anything. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I didn't know that it was going to be a two-parter just because you just – there we weren't on the internet. We didn't know what was happening. I just sort of figured they would resolve it somehow and they didn't. And then I had to wait all summer. And then I broke up with the girl and like, then we both like talked to each other and got back together over the resumption of best of both worlds. Oh you know, my like, goodness. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, well, we, we should probably watch this together. Yeah. Okay. We made out whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's life was weird in 1990. So um, I don't have no idea where I was going with this, but I, I, I do know that I was very fascinated by this episode because it was like the third one in a row that was, it wasn't a continuation of the best of both worlds thing but it was also the family theme that they had done in family and i just thought it was kind of neat at the time and i still think it was pretty neat yeah that i mean but that story what you just said about the girlfriend getting back together and then the continuity that's what <laughs> that's the theme there that ties it all together i broke so, up with her three months after that yeah. so. well we'll see all right well okay <laughs> uh good luck to her uh quick synopsis of this episode if you're just listening to us and you you don't you're not going to take the time to watch the episode thanks for listening um but also here's the story data's father dr noonian sung is alive and wants to reconnect with his lost long lost son data Problem is, the only way to do that is by activating a secret homing beacon that temporarily hijacks Data's higher functions, compelling Data to hijack the Enterprise and reroute to Dr. Sung's secret hideout on a nameless planet. That poses a problem for the Enterprise and Dr. Crusher because they have a medical emergency. One of the kids on board the Enterprise, this is where having children aboard <laughs> backfires, uh, got sick from a prank from his older brother, and they need to get to a starbase urgently. Problem is, they're dead in the water until Data gets back from his 
family reunion. It's a family reunion because the homie beacon, Dr. Sung activated, uh, also brought back, brought lore to that same planet. Dr. Sung didn't know lore, Data's evil twin, uh, was reassembled. And now they're back. And uh, it's going to get in the way of Dr. Sung giving him his his dying gift to his son, an emotion chip, which uh, we'll talk about. Uh, this episode, again, season four, and it was episode three, as Craig said, right after family, written by Star Trek head honcho Rick Berman. Very unusual, his first episode. Directed by Rob Bowman, uh, probably the best director in Star Trek Next Generation has, uh, which is tough because that means it's peaking and the very beginning of season four, but uh, Rob Bowman left the show. I, I wanted to mention this because his uh, agent said, you got to get off that Star Trek kid. No one's going to remember it in 20 years. You know, <laughs> what, do, what do you want to be known for? You want to go on to do things. And uh, obviously um, that agent was extremely wrong, but uh, that's it. That's why Rob Bowman left the show when he did. He was enjoying it, but he took the career advice and tried to get more money. So good for him. Any like general thoughts you had while watching this episode that's stood out to you maybe for, from first sight or to, to now or like, well, let's try not to spoil the grades, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, you obviously view things very differently over 32 years later um, yeah. than you did uh, the first time. Um, you know, when I was 17, I, I definitely felt differently about this episode than I do now. I'm, I'm a lot more of a jaded, cynical person now. So I start thinking things like, well, that was pretty sloppy workmanship, Dr. Soon on the, on the homing <laughs> beacon and, you know, things like that. Um, I also, you know, since 1990, had an entire life of growing up in education, worked in the law for a long time and realized how things happen. And all I could think for the first half of the episode was the inquiry that would happen afterwards about how data was able to take care of the show. We, we, we have a lot of data goes haywire episodes in the next generation. That's just kind of a fun thing. But, you know, this one was just really bad in all sorts of ways. And you just there was going to be meetings about that. I, I kept laughing at myself about how someone's going to question Jordy about how something happened and uh, how it was allowed to happen. So those sorts of things uh, really stuck in my mind. So I laughed a lot more this time than I did last time when I was like intense emotion about it. Well, that would that would have been funny. Another version of continuity is later on in the season, they do a measure of a man follow up, but it's it's an inquiry into data's behavior in this oh, yeah, episode. Yeah, the day in the life of whatever, thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, like, if they were willing to have a hearing over, does data have the right to deny being stripped apart, like that stripped down <laughs> to his wires? Surely there'd be an inquiry into. You know how you're able to take over the Enterprise very easily? <laughs> let's let's interrogate that. That might I be was fun. thinking about measure of a man while I was watching this, and I wanted to be like, we need a scene where that prosecutor comes in and goes, "I was right." <laughs> This is bad. And then they turn him into a softy later. So that's things. I remember really liking it when I was younger because of the data and lore and and the, the opening. So the it's basically an episode that's not split in half, but it's sort of a third of it or 40% mm -hmm. of it is the hijacking of the Enterprise. It, it And it holds up. I don't want to make fun of it because I'm making jokes. It oh, actually great. holds up. And, and it's funny. We've, we've become so conditioned in I guess superhero stuff and maybe Star Wars stuff too, we we wait for that scene where the guy is going to unleash all of his power, right? We wait for the scene where Hulk hulks out and kills everybody, and we wait for the scene where Captain America just says, "Forget it," he's going to throw a shield, beat everybody up, or Luke goes crazy on Darth Vader. We wait for that scene, and there's so many things over the course of the seven years of next generation where you you could put together, and I know there are websites that have done this about what are Data's capabilities actually, and so it is kind of fun and a very immature fanboy way to see 
data actually kind of kicking ass and doing things like if this was now people would talk about making a franchise out of you know commander data one man starfleet or something it'd be kind of (laughs) it would and i think just also seeing different aspects of the enterprise or how it handles certain emergencies it's always fun to see the crew working together it was extremely interesting now watching it going like this is not picard's strength all the technical (laughs) The technical aspects of running a starship are not in his lane at all. No, they just gave these great lies, like, get my ship back. (laughs) Yes, and a lot of uh, a great direction, though, because he is the star of the show, Patrick Stewart. So you're getting a lot of looks of, like, okay, Picard knows he's in in the shit right now. He knows he's lost control of his ship. Like, all that stuff, it's really great, but he doesn't have, like, a lot to do because now we realize, like, Picard doesn't have a lot to do in these situations. Like you could picture Kirk being like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to go directly into the computer core and start Elon Musking pulling the wires out it's, until something happens. <laughs> I think that was one of the things that initially drew me to Next Generation when it first came on. I had seen enough original series and uh, and I'll get into this in a minute. There's a, there's, a, there's a Navy aspect that I want to talk about soon, like a U.S. Navy aspect. But I was familiar enough with U.S. Navy things because my brother and my dad and, you know, you you know that the captain doesn't go out and, you know, do shit. That just isn't how that works. Um, and it did in Star Trek. And I like the choice they made at the beginning of Next Generation to have a number one there and to, you know, have him going away. Now, they, they that broke down later, of course. But it was always nice when you when you see them actually like doing their jobs in their departments and like, you know, Worf and a couple security guys go and, you know, bring their phasers out to go stop data. That's what would happen. It wouldn't be Kirk. Um, so it was fun to see that. It was also fun to realize that Patrick Stewart probably filmed all of his reaction shots in like one afternoon and had the week off for the most part. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's always fun to think about being older and knowing how shows are made just to watch that stuff like, wow, he shot he shot all three acts of the movie in probably like two days. <laughs> just, you know, you know, Patrick Stewart shot a whole episode's worth of scenes in an afternoon, like you said, exactly right. I, I also feel like Gates McFadden did her stuff completely in one day and like was on a completely different planet, just tonally. Does she live the? Does she leave that quarantine set? I think you're right. I think there's they one, would have shot that in a day. There's one ready room scene. Oh, she's in the ready room. It, that would yeah, have been a separate day. So she would yeah, have two days. She's in the ready room, and I just love it. I had to rewind it, and I watched it a few times, where they're talking about you know, this is this is the, the gravity of the situation. We got to get the kid to Starbase or whatever. And then her line is, "If we don't get there soon, all that's left to do will be a post mortem." And she says it like Groucho marks. Like it, it's almost like she's waiting for you know, the, the drum kick or something like that. It was fantastic. And they, I, I'm sure it was just one of those, and eh, we got it. We're not going to go back and do it again. Yes. That's why we have the uh, grade, the Shatner, because sometimes we, you know, we, t- TV production, there's not enough time to do multiple takes. Sometimes you just got to <laughs> go with what you got. Yeah. Crusher was doing bits in this episode. So that you said Groucho there, but she was doing, she literally, I think lifted a Henny, Henny Youngman story. Oh yeah. Uh, the, don't don't later raise your arm yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And she does the voice. <laughs> don't do the voice. And she did it. Uh, I think the other part of this that, that stood out on this rewatch, um, not just the technical stuff, but I, I'm not like a big fan, like the evil twin stuff. It sort of not washes over me, but when you're a kid, it's just like very easy to lock into like, even with like Knight Rider, it's like, okay, I'm rooting for Michael against his evil twin brother. I'm rooting for Data against his evil twin brother. And and this time around, now I'm older, it's like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to what Lore is actually saying. And since he's in a, has emotions, I'm going to see if it tracks. I obviously can't trust anything he's saying. He's lying. 
But at least this time around, I really did pick up that there was some pain in there. Like Brent Spiner mm-hmm. as lore was delivering some sense of pain. And even if lore has ambition and he's incredibly smart, just the idea that he couldn't fully understand why his dad disassembled him and, you know, ignored him, whatever, like that all came through this time in, in a way that made that made yeah. it really click. I'll, I'll give it that. Definitely. And, you know, on one level, again, I'm I'm cynical. And I think this this episode's genesis was probably, you know, Brent Snyder, Brent Spiner wanted to stretch his legs a little bit. Right. Get, you know, he he's always monosyllabic, but like him and his actor, if you've seen him in other things, he's over the top a lot. So give him a chance to do some over the top things and some fun things. And so, you know, that's one reason for this episode. But he does a good job with it. I mean, I'm sure some people might think it's a little cheesy in places. Um but I think he does a good job as lore delivering what you just said as far as his empathy. Like, you know, that I, I really believe the line when he says something, you know, when when Dr. Soon is going to give data the, the emotion ship before, you know, lore reveals he's going to steal it. Um, you know, he's almost envious of of data. He's not envious because he's experienced it, but he's like, yeah, you're, you're really going to like that kid. Like It's like an older brother talking to a little brother um, that was kind of real. And I think the stuff is Dr. Soon. Um, some of it was a little corny, but some of it, I think, actually, like, you believe that he was an old guy, a father who's made mistakes talking about regrets and things. It was some pretty deep waters for Star Trek. Yeah. OK, so you mentioned dad and a brother yourself. I have a brother. I've had a father. Like, that's the other part of this episode that we, we don't have to dance around anymore. We can talk about that. I mean, we're dealing with space stuff. So on some level, there's you can kind of dismiss it of it's it's playing dress up. But in terms of like either father son or parent child dynamics here. I think that was the other part that sort of resonated with me in the sense in that same moment that you talked about with lore saying, Oh, I, I see um, you you might enjoy this right before that. He says, Dr. Sung says, we don't, you know, data's had a hard time. And then lore actually says, I know that I understand what data's struggle has been. And, uh, and then, and then he says, but like a warning, you know, just because you'll get these feelings, it might be tough for you, but just in that, even in that moment of, like you said, the older brother thing, he, he kind of acknowledges like, yeah, I get it. He's a person too, but I'm more important here. Mm-hmm. There was something, there was something that felt kind of very real about that too. Um, and I also love the beat um, at the end, right before the procedure where you get the whole, you know, Lore is having the argument. They're giving the whole sob story. Like, why did you disassemble me and all that? And then Dr. Sung's like, I'm going to put the emotion chip in data. First, I got to go to bed. And he shuffles off. We think we've had a sweet moment between all three of them. And then Data looks to Lore. And then Lore <laughs> gives him that big brother smirk of like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Stan goes to bed. <laughs> yeah, I, I recognize that look. That was definitely true. I, so I, I have a brother. He's He's older than me, not much older than me. He was like two years older than me. Um, and we, we don't, and never have had the sort of complicated relationship or even a cliche brother relationship. Um, he's never tried to kill you on your never. ship. Never. No, well, okay. I don't know. I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I have COVID right now and I'm pretty sure I got it from him while he was visiting this week. So, you know, maybe he's taking the long game here. We're not sure. So he gave you a crystalline entity. of a Oh my God. It's all coming together now. <laughs> We have a weird thing in that it's sort of reversed in almost every way that kind of matters. I follow all the older brother dynamics and he follows all the younger brother dynamics. Um, and part of it is because he's adopted. I'm not going to go too sob story and deep into my life and everything. But we, we do have a, a kind of a strange relationship. He's he's probably more data and I'm probably more lore. And it's not because I'm evil, but just 
people. Oh my think, God, he admitted. Oh <laughs> All right. I, the, the general story is, um, you know, people just generally like my brother more than me. Um, not in a way that they don't like me, but like what happens is if they meet me first and they like me just fine and I'll, you know, I get exasperated by my older brother sometimes for a lot of things, nothing major, but just a lot of things in life. And he lives many, he lives in California, so I don't see him very often. And so people will get ready to meet him and I'll say, all right, my brother's coming. I got to tell you a few things about my brother first, blah, blah, blah. And it's always this moment every single time. They'll look at me after talking with him for a couple hours and they'll look at me and be like, I don't believe you. You're terrible. <laughs> Kurt's the best person ever. I'm like, okay, whatever. But um, when this episode came out, so th the long story of all that is I get along fine with my brother. We're very close friends. Everything is, is hunky-dory. We've never had those sorts of issues. We're on very different planes. Um, but when this episode came out, I like I said, I was beginning my senior year of high school. My brother the year, not quite a year before, had joined the Navy. He graduated high school and he joined the Navy. And in, when was this, like September, October, I think, of 1990, um, his ship got sent over to the Persian Gulf because the the Operation Desert, Desert Shield that later Shield, became yeah. the first Gulf War started. And his ship got sent to the Red Sea. And in hindsight, we all know how that went and everything. But at the time, when you were living through it, and I've written about this at length before in other places, um, you know, didn't know. I mean, just, you know, eight years before England had sank a whole Argentinian ship in the Falklands, right? We were going to walk over Iraq. Everybody knew that, but there were going to be casualties. People didn't know. Maybe they did have one of those missiles they got from China that was going to sink my brother's ship and he was going to die. And yes, I was a dramatic 17-year-old, but I was thinking things like that a lot back then. And so this episode about brothers comes out. And uh, I'm not going to say it hit me in the feels because, again, I was a dickhead 17-year-old boy, but it definitely made me feel something kind of weird and made me think about my brother in different ways. And it, I think I guess what I could say is it made me start to think about our relationship and appreciate that we are going to have a relationship for the rest of our lives in ways that you don't really appreciate when you're just kids growing up together. And, uh, you know, this episode was not some watershed moment in my life and aha, but it definitely contributed to a lot of little things that were going on that fall. Uh, that made me think that. So I, I do think of it fondly and it does resonate with me. And when you asked me to do this episode, I was like, oh man, yeah, this is definitely the one I want to talk about. So it worked out great. <laughs> yeah, I, I have um, a brother, but we have the same dad and uh, our father's not with us anymore. Um, and so that's, but what we have is that that brought us together essentially. And so at least now in this most recent rewatch, because he and I have connected and spend more time together and talk a little bit more. And we don't look exactly alike, but we're very similar behaviorally. We don't, I mean, I guess I would be the Lord too, because he's <laughs> less, suck. he's not, yeah, he's less outwardly emotional, but, <laughs> uh, but I, and I am, but so there's that, but you know, it's just seeing that and understanding that there's sort of, um, there's like a comfort and a friction that, that goes with it. And, um, and, and it's mostly enjoyable, I think, but seeing data sort of get roped into being the brother in the situation. Cause in data lore, you know what I mean? Like he's, his crew is his family right behind mm -hmm. him and here he's on his own. And he really is, he really is like the toddler. Yeah. He, he reverts episode. like that, yes. that whole scene of like, Oh, I am not less perfect than lore. I mean, I, part of that was they had to repeat it a couple of times cause they needed to get to 44 minutes, I guess. But at, at the same oh, it's time, perfect. it's great. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's ideal. It's like, wow. And you know, this has nothing to do with that, but 
when Dr. Soon has Data, uh, you know, pat his tab at pat his head and rub his stomach and does that oh old hardy never thought you'd be able to do that well that's ridiculous of course data could do that because he could do all kinds of terrible complex things but it was cute seeing him go through the motions as if he were just turned on um so there was a lot of sort of like you know reverting data to young data kind of thing that was kind of neat yeah so before we get into the grades just real quick a couple of like little notes like like craig said this came out in 1990 october 8th 1990 written by Rick Berman, who says this is one of his favorite Next Generation episodes. I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, I tried to find some information very quickly to un uncover what compelled him to write this episode or want to want to do the story because originally it had nothing to do with lore. Lore was not a part of the story. That was Michael Piller, who was the showrunner at the time. Once the writers got a hand, you know, got their hands on their executive producer's script, the guy who doesn't write. And uh, they were like, well, okay, what's going on here? And it was basically about Data meeting his dad as his dad's dying. And I would assume the motion chip was a part of this, but it was basically just a lot of talking. And so it was a lot of that. There's a scene where Dr. Sung's, you know, Data asks, why did you make me? And they have this conversation. So it seems like it was a series of those types of conversations, which Rick Berman is like a very, he's one of those Americans who, says, you know, I'm a, I'm a well-traveled man of culture and it's mostly like European culture and all that. It's very, I think he's very influenced by like French films. And yeah, I was going to say, I think he's trying yeah. to do a French film here. Yeah, with that exactly. Before they put the lore part in. <laughs> and so you know, it was the writing staff's decision or idea to bring Lauren, which I think it's a brilliant idea. It works. It makes the episode actually work. It gives it the actual engine. I don't know if the end, the emotion chip was part of that or anything, but anyway, I wanted to look into that. Um, and then, so to your point of, was this a Brent Spiner idea? No, because originally it wasn't It wasn't driven by the idea of him playing both roles. They even had an actor in mind for Dr. Sung that before they decided to do what they're like, once we have lore, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Is that the saying? Yeah. So they, they just went for it. <laughs> Two more things. <laughs> I already mentioned the Rob Bowman thing. Um, and then April Fool's Day still exists in the 24th century. That's an so, interesting choice. So does boxing. <laughs> Boxing, yes. I, I was then, surprised by that one when Dr. Soong has that, why does a boxer box? I'm like, I can't believe they still have boxing in the 24th <laughs> century, which made me go Google whether or not there were football uh, references in Star Trek. And yeah, there are a whole bunch of them like in Enterprise and stuff. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if there wouldn't, if there wasn't boxing in Star Trek, uh, Voyager probably wouldn't have had one of its better episodes later. Oh, in its yeah. Um, yeah and, then the, and then the last point I want to bring up is uh, when Data is doing Picard's voice, talking to the computer to do all the command codes on the day shooting that Brent Spiner was doing his Patrick Stewart impression. And uh, according to the commentary track, cause I listened to it, Rob Bowman said it was pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty close to what Patrick Stewart wound up looping when he recorded the lines later. Oh, right, I didn't so know that. Yeah. I've never listened to the commentary. That's pretty good. I was wondering about that because it's a little unnatural Patrick Stewart, but it's, you know, clearly him. But Brent Spiner clowning it up as Patrick Stewart. Oh, it must have been it must have been so much fun to be alone on the bridge of the Enterprise, just doing whatever, just doing impressions of your castmates. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, everything everybody's ever read about this show is they had all kinds of fun on the set. So, you know, you knew that that had to be a lot of fun. Um, the, the one thing that I was thinking during that, though, was if this came out today, the, they dropped the episode of Brothers today in this world. The the discourse on Twitter about how that's not okay to impersonate your captain and and just all of what that means 
um, the, the discourse would be very insufferable, I think. There would have also been a, a tangential discourse about the brothers. We didn't talk about that. So the Enterprise was at a planet, and then on the planet, some of these kids whose parents were on sabbatical and left their kids on a starship? Yeah. Seems weird. It's a weird sense. choice, but anyway. Well, so they the left kid, Wesley on there. I don't know. Yeah. So the older kid, that's true. That's a great point. Uh, so the older kid uh, goes to the arcade, but he has to like, bring his younger brother with him. And then <laughs> he and his buddies pull a prank that causes, and the kid thinks, the little kid thinks he's killed his older brother. So he goes and he runs and hides in the woods. And while he's hiding in the woods, he eats this plant that gets him sick that requires some sort of emergency care at another star base, a different planet. He had the and MacGuffin it, disease, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a terrible disease, that MacGuffin disease. I, I, I will have to say, I love how convoluted that had to be. Like, okay, so he killed the brother, because I'd forgotten what set that all up. But oh, wait, so he pretended to kill the brother, and he must have gone, oh no, then he had to eat a plant. Okay, that, that just seems way too convoluted, whatever. And then the idea that, the executive officer of a galaxy class starship is the one dealing with this, like on a disciplinary level. It's like, like Riker doesn't have better things to do than to lecture this 12 year old. It's fantastic. Oh, this is a great point. So like, that's a, okay. This is like a nested thought in the larger idea. Yeah, of course. Why would he be dealing with this? This, if you, <laughs> I am nerdy enough where I've read the Bible of next generation and like all the crew's job. This is a Troy matter. Uh-huh. Like this is something she's specifically supposed to handle. But I guess we have to remember that this show was largely written by dudes in the 90s, patriarchal like sense of whatever. And but it's also an interesting choice because it's like, well, the captain's not going to deal with that because he's given all the he's. Yeah, he's told Riker, this is the shit you handle. I'm not. (laughs) Well, the most charitable explanation I could have, I mean, I'm sure it was because it was sexist, but the most charitable explanation I'll offer is, you know, Troy plays good cop and she has to bring Riker in to play bad cop sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, but that works if you're trying to figure out what happened, right? We already know what happened. And, and, you know, Counselor Troy is a lieutenant commander, so she's not like not a ranking officer of some significance. Anyway, but also I'm sure the answer to all these questions is why is Riker doing this is for the next generation crew. It's always like, Jonathan Frakes is fun to work with. So let's just put him in the scene and see what happens. Um, also, he and Troy do play well off of each other, um, but they are like mom and dad in a lot of ways. So the Twitter discourse about the kid getting sick, this reminds me of, what was it? The gator, the gator signs? The kid, this would be the gator signs all over again. So I'm being like, a I don't care about Star Trek captain. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. I'm glad he died. <laughs> That kid is putting a thousand lives at risk. I just, I have no tolerance for that kid's privilege. <laughs> he can go into an alien forest and eating the indigenous fruit. <laughs> so. Just there, there would just be a lot of very bad privilege and consent sort of discourse around this episode. I mean, they're oh, way worse than other episodes, but this would be a fun one. There would also be a quite a lot, if there isn't even now, of people looking at it going like, wait, Dr. Noonien Sung is p- potentially of what an asiatic asian descent and he's being played by uh, a honky what's going on (laughs) i I was thinking of that because like two weeks ago i watched uh, 2010 the sequel to 2001 a space odyssey good movie yeah it's it's actually really good really good stands on its own but dr chandra who has like a very impossibly long indian name in the in the novel and is as and is indian um is played by you know Bob Balaban. So okay. Oh my goodness, I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, like okay, you're you're Doctor, you know Chandra, eighteen syllables from South Asia. Okay, sure you are. 
Bob Balaban is a great actor. Unfortunately, his perfect role is playing an NBC executive. Oh, yeah. He's great in that. <laughs> I mean, that is just the perfect part for him. Okay. I'm not going to you know, slander him in 2010. He did a great job for the role. 2010 is a, a good movie. Yes. Just miscast. I love. Yes. I love that that movie is like, no, we're not even going to try to be and no awe on this one. Yep. <laughs> this is a straight we, up the middle. We got middles. a plot, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We, we got a hundred minutes and we got to get out of here. <laughs> Ray Scheider doesn't have time for looking around. Just get him where he's going. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, dig into the grades here. Let's start with great scenes. Well, I just think the whole we talked we talked about this before. The whole sequence of data hijacking the ship was pretty fantastic. It was it was well paced, it was tense, and it did things before you even thought about like, well, how are they gonna oh yeah, he figured that one out. It was pretty well done. Yeah, I think that's the part of it was the music, the direction, the acting, but also just the idea that data is ahead of the audience, he's ahead of the crew, and um you can it's exactly what you said seeing him unleash his full power but also the enterprise crew doing everything they can uh, i have a lot of like weird quibbling questions there uh, though about certain choices that people made Worf telling data to stop instead of just <laughs> shooting him i don't know if i agreed with that choice by yeah, Worf there <laughs> like my, michael michael dorn probably was like i don't have any lines this week i really need something so let me yell stop i i also just, love that they're gonna like the not even okay like the first solution of let's separate the saucer okay fine that, that's fine uh the second one well climb up through the hatch i mean we've really gone from high tech to low tech is is the second level here of you know how we're gonna stop data oh i thought i thought that was great i mean we're not really laying it we're not really doing it justice by laying out every step of it but you know it, it starts with the the life support and deck one going off so everyone has to leave the bridge and then data is able to lie in this mode, in this homing mode, and and act like he's leaving the bridge, and Picard thinks, oh, everyone's cleared. And then, even though right before that, they're like asking Data direct questions, saying his name, and he's just ignoring them, and they don't <laughs> think there's, they they they're like, that's weird. But then then all, wait, the ship's changed course, and it's gone to warp nine, and oh, the life support's off, and Data wasn't answering our questions. Uh, that was the least unusual part of all of this. <laughs> I mean, there are other episodes in this show where like Data just sort of like farts off key and everybody's like what's wrong with data I'm like this one they're like oh that's all fine <laughs> so i don't know i don't know how you would have been how you would have fixed that but it definitely seemed like oh, that's a little that's a little dodgy but also just wharf not taking the shot as soon as they had him <laughs> as soon as he had him in sight like you would have just shot him but anyway okay i have the dr crusher doing her henny youngman impression uh the, the the sick kids like i don't feel good when i stand up she's like you ever hear that saying uh yeah put your arm up and uh, it hurts so the doctor says well don't put your arm up and she's doing the voice like we said but i liked it because how often did gates mcfadden get anything to do in this show that's so, true <laughs> and that is seeing true. her be a doctor where she like you believe she's a doctor i think that's the part about dr crusher i've always liked you know we like dr mccoy I think we could reasonably say sometimes it doesn't seem like he's that great of a doctor, but yeah, yeah, he's oh. he's he's like there for spice, and oftentimes he's there to move <laughs> things forward. Whereas right. you know, you know, Doctor Crusher is a doctor. Yes, and I, I, so I believe her all the time, and so actually getting to see her do her job was was kind of good. I did like, and I also like the fact that the kid says, why is everyone worried about my brother, the older brother, and how he's feeling, how he's doing? I'm the one who's sick. I'm the one who's going to die. I don't know. There's something relatable about that. It, it does seem like, well, yeah, that's bad. Can you imagine how the other person feels who hurt them? I'm like, there's sure. 
for half a second, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there is a problem in a lot of shows, and it lasts till today, in which you know they adult writers give kids very adult lines, and it's mm-hmm. it's painfully obvious all the time. I I have two kids. I raised two kids. They're teenagers now. I know how kids talk, or at least used to five years ago, and uh, it's very clear in so much drama and even comedy when when kids are just speaking adult lines usually exposition or something this was a real kid reaction that's what a kid would say and i thought that was pretty good um do you have any other scenes um there were good parts and bad parts i mean the 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 three-way interaction between data lore and and dr soon you know was a huge part of the second half of the episode obviously and there were some things that they did well and some things they didn't do well. I liked a lot of that interaction in moments. Like I think sometimes they went too far. Like when, when Dr. Soon is, you know, playing Socrates with data about why did you make me? And he, the, the answer ultimately is, you know, it's about the urge to procreate and become immortal that way. I mean, I feel like Data's smart enough to where they could have gotten to that point without the, the grand inquisition, but whatever. I, I did like Dr. Soon's voice. I like what Brent Spider did with his voice to try to give it that hard edge to, to, you know, make him seem like a real person underneath all of that makeup, which made me think of the, I think you should leave episode, but it was still, (laughs) I don't even want to be here anymore. But um, there were moments in that that really stood out. It was, it was a mixed bag for sure, but there were definitely more good moments than bad moments in all of that. I agree, but I, I have a question for you now directly. Do you agree with Dr. Sung's assessment of human behavior that we cling to the past? You know, it's he he gives this line. He's like, if a Nuvian, by the way, that's the stupidest name for <laughs> That was like a first point. draft. That was a first draft <laughs> name. We'll call him a Nuvian to be the people that don't like old things. We'll change that later <laughs> in another draft. I mean, it never got changed. It's the unobtainium of alien names, I think. Um as a kid, I remember this very clearly saying, I'm not sure if that's true. The premise that human beings prefer old things and, you know, that it makes it difficult to move on. Why not go I don't, forward? I don't think I really bought it or even thought too hard about it in 1990. But I, I thought about that line when he was saying it when I was rewatching it. And I've got a very long rant that I've ranted many times in many different places before about uh humans and nostalgia and how america decided in 1980 we were only going to look back and not look forward and we were going to look back at fake things and it still you know inflicts all kinds of damage on modern society and i could just rant and rant rant but that's not what this podcast is about so i i think i bought it a little bit more today in that there is a backwards looking thing and that might just be where we are right now or or my predispositions you know, Star Trek often dealt in that stuff. I mean, there's a reason why someone keeps those old eyeglasses or that old pocket watch or, or you know, the they keep the winery down in France or something like that. And part of that is co- to connect the 23rd or 24th century to the 20th century when these shows were playing. But I, I think it was earned enough to, to pass in this, even though I agree there are probably some problems with it. The I am not less perfect than Laura's scene because that's when that's the big scene with the three of them, Laura and Data and Sung talking i love it because we are seeing data lose his mind <laughs> he's having an epiphany like an existential realization that his brother had lied to him all his time he wasn't a mistake 
<laughs> that's that's kind of the tone of it, right? Um, Dude, but, data as Elmo is a very yeah. <laughs> weird thing, but they, they do do that when it's necessary, I think. And you're right. I rewatched that particular scene right before we started recording. And I, I was it was exactly what you said. They did just repeat the shot and the line again so that it was <laughs> so they could fill out the time. But it, it's like legitimately funny. And then the fact that it gets Lord to mock him, I thought it was great. I like the scene because it's like a, it's like what I said before. I could believe um, Lore's pain. Uh, I could mm-hmm. Brent Spiner doing the acting, sure, but even as a, an android with emotions who's evil, quote unquote, like I understood what was going on, and I like just the perspective of the guy who made him defending him. Even though, is this where I ask the question? You're a father. So Dr. Sung says, oh, Data, don't listen. Don't believe all this stuff. I think you need to give Lore another chance. Now that I've explained myself to him, he'll calm down. I'm going to go to bed. Okay. I don't, I didn't buy that as a kid. I didn't buy that as an adult, but I'm also not a parent. So you tell me, is that a parent Uh, just being fucking stupid or what? No, that's, it's a pre, okay. I I will tell you in my own my own experience, I am predisposed to assume good things. I am predisposed to think that things are going to go okay with my kids and all that kind of stuff. I am more likely to have one pulled over on him than my kid's mother or or their stepmother is. And then, you know, that was real to me. The whole, oh, no, he's fine. He understands because you don't want to believe that one of your kids is a shithead. Um <laughs> So it happens. And I've gotten better about that as my kids have gotten older and have become more fully formed jerks on occasion. Um, you, you start to see through that. But no, I could definitely see a father thinking, oh, no, no, you got to give Laura the benefit of the doubt. He's had a hard go of it. I mean, I I believed also uh, Brent Spiner as Dr. Sung. I believed that he believed what he was saying and that I liked the perspective of just getting a little more information and him recognizing like, I, I guess I just didn't fully understand what I had in you. And I didn't see all these connections. And like, he's explaining how lore, um, not malfunctioned. What was the word that there was just something not, not quite right. It wasn't something off about him. Yeah. yeah something off. And he's like, I just, so like with data, it just made sense to like do everything except that extra 2% so <laughs> just to see I, what would happen. Not to get too deep here, but I like feel like as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to set a Google calendar reminder for like 12 years from now to rewatch this episode because my kids are 19 and 17. And that whole stuff about, uh, you know, they, they didn't hit it too hard. They, they did talk about it some, but they didn't hit it too hard of the, I failed you, Lore. You know, you're, you're bad because I failed you. I mean, that's a pretty common parental feeling. I think that's one that you see more when the kids are or more fully grown and they're young adults or something. And I, I know other parents who have gone through this and think, oh, what, what could I have done different with my kid who's now a screw up or something? Um so that's beginning to be relatable to me as my kids are becoming adults. Uh, I do want to see several years from now uh, if if it's more relatable. Try to pull the, I disassembled you so that I could build another one of you. And then through that, figure out how to come back around and fix you. Which yeah, my, is why- <laughs> my daughter is older. So we used to, when she was little, we used to tell her that we had her brother because, you know, we wanted to fix what we got wrong. We actually said that to her. We also oh told her. God. We also told her that we could return her to the hospital until she was five years old. Okay. Um, well, this I, is explaining a, a lot. <laughs> it's amazing that my daughter has become this horrible cynic nihilist person. But 
all right best trek tropes <laughs> oh there are a lot of next generation tropes in this of like yeah the, so you that's know. what we're finding while we're doing the show is that there's like a lot of ones that you can just lay out for next gen but that's go for it yeah i want to hear them yeah i mean the whole idea of we need to create the problem you know what because what would normally happen if data didn't disable the entire ship they would just say well we're dead in the water we'll fix it it'll take some time so they had to put the kit on there they had to make that dramatic thing and that's every show has to do that on some level you got to have dramatic stakes with the sick kid and everything I, I always felt that next generation theirs were a little more contrived than a lot of others like you know this week we can't do it because if we leave then we're going to disturb this nebula and blah 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 there, there's always a reason why we can't do the thing that we just did three episodes in a row mm -hmm. um so we see those. This wasn't too bad as far as that went. Like, because you didn't have prime directive stuff. You didn't have a lot of like late 80s, early 90s relativism speaking its way into the 24th century. Like you you often got in a lot of these episodes and it didn't age poorly from that perspective. The one I had as a next generation one, Inside Data's Head. It's always mm -hmm. cool when we get a shot inside Data. And I think this is the only time where we see this particular one where it's, uh, it's basically it's like his jugular. It's right under his ear. And then mm -hmm. pulls out part of his neck. We find out it's Lore's, but at least in the meantime, uh, we also get to see the inside of a comm badge. We see Dr. Sung open it up to disable it. That was that pretty was neat. Cool. I, I, I did that. hate the, that that pull your fingernail back scene because what was the the homing beacon or whatever? Something was in his fingernail. That he one, put that a one... little transporter thing in there oh. for his ship. I, that yeah. wasn't a Dr. Sung thing. That was a Lore thing. That was a Lore thing. I, that one Mod. just made me stop because I'm squeamish. I'm like, I know it's fake, but still. So in the commentary track, it's Michael Okuda, Denise Okuda, and the director, and 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 both and all three of them went, ugh. <laughs> it also upset them very much. Uh, I think it was just the way that it peels back the skin of it the, and the fingernail. Um, worst Trek tropes. Oh, the the phasers are always are always uh, whatever we need the phaser to be or not be in any given episode. That's always a fun one. Uh, Set it to the you know level that will disable Commander Data, but we can't just shoot this force field or something. And then there's a time where we're going to shoot again, and Worf's like, "No, we're too close." I'm like, wait, what? I've never seen phaser fire ricochet off that. Okay, whatever. Well, it's Chief O'Brien says like it'll ricochet into the transporter chamber and cause a you know. It's like what? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then there there wasn't too much like techno babble on this one, but the whole bit about how we're going to transport down and we're going to make the transporter think we're Data that was kind of unnecessary. I think like they could have just problem by then i believe that one more than my worst trek trope of techno babble explain to me the the star trek logic behind the force field bit so i'm going to read the lines <laughs> so wesley says when he transferred force field control to the bridge he must have only specified the fields he was planning to initiate the quarantine field the one that was in sick bay with the sick kid was already operating and LaForge says, under normal circumstances, we could divert that field energy and use it to cancel the force field protecting the bridge. But we have to maintain the medical quarantine. I don't know what that means. So the the, the quarantine for, force field is on the sickbay system. But somehow there's like a network of like force field control, basically. Okay, maybe I'll buy that. Even though it makes more sense for like all the sickbay stuff to be its own siloed isolated thing but anyway okay so i think part they just of the computer... got too much in their heads right it just <laughs> that one just doesn't they didn't need to do any of that i yeah i didn't i didn't get that either i'm like <laughs> so it's like basically if you have if you have a way to control any of the force field power you can use it to manage all the force field power i think that's what it was going for it was just very bizarre <laughs> 
<laughs> they could have just said we have partial control of the of force fields, so we might be able to work our way through. And they could just have like some engineering guy with a southern <laughs> accent come in and be like, "Well, here's your problem." <laughs> That's right. Very much that. It, the The Enterprise is a very mechanical ship for as futuristic as it is. Oh, it's, it's part of its charm, right? It's a <laughs> sleek on the outside, uh, the Titanic on the inside. Most of its time quality. Oh, most of its time quality. Yeah, again, like this one doesn't hit too much on like as far as the script or the themes or anything like that. It's fairly timeless when you're talking about brothers and families and stuff. So it it doesn't age like maybe some environmental era thing would or or something about you know late cold war politics might have or or whatever like that stuff doesn't creep in like it does in some other episodes i mean some of it is just you know technology like a very clear stunt double when dr soon gets thrown over and that's just that's 1990 for you yeah i have three the captain's log ending on a cliffhanger for the audience's sake I didn't write down what the exact words were, but basically the captain, Captain Picard setting up what we're about to see. I'm like that doesn't. OK, <laughs> um, that's that's just because if you are only catching the episode when you're in midway through, you need to know what's going on from the commercial break. The blue screen work I have on there because the blue hue um, on Dr. Sung, whenever uh, he's clearly shot against the blue screen, it's got a blue hue to it. So that's why they switched I didn't to even green notice screen. That. Uh, <laughs> The Blu-rays are very good at showing the even more detail than just streaming. Yeah. And then the lack of continuity in this sense, you're completely right. Like the, the fact that this is even calling back data lore, but Dr. Sung says, why Starfleet data? I was hoping you'd follow in my footsteps and be a cyberneticist. I mean, data built his own daughter in the previous season. Yeah. There's no mentions <laughs> of Lal None. at all. <laughs> You'd think that that would have been a great – maybe if they didn't put the lore and they still had Rick Berman's original script and it was just a talkie episode, there was probably a whole scene where he talks about lol that, that got – Oh, that out. would have been heartbreaking. He Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he's like – he is asking Sung like – his like final thing on his deathbed is like, can you help me figure out what went wrong with lol? And then and then Data's like – and then Dr. Sung's like, I don't – I you looks like you did everything right. Sometimes it just doesn't work. I had this happen too. I'll give you an emotion chip so you can feel what it would be like to have her back. And then maybe data's like, mm, maybe I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> oh man. We just, we just wrote a good episode. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that was surprising to me that like that never came up. I think even in 1990, when I was watching this, I was thinking, is he going to mention law? I don't know that they ever mentioned law again. <laughs> I, we were talking about this on the Star Trek Picard uh, for season for episode one. It's like they're talking about Data's daughter. It's like in the air. And mm -hmm. it, it's just like an open question. Do the people making Star Trek Picard know that Data even had a daughter? Does <sighs> does Patrick Stewart or Brent Spiner even remember that the episode happened? It's just so weird. It's just very <laughs> weird. It's also a very sad episode. So maybe people just don't want to revisit it. Yeah, it is. It is a downer. <laughs> All right. That leads us into the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I think there are many I, great lines in this one. There are a lot of great lines there. You know, Dr. Soon definitely has a lot of like lines of wisdom. Um, I mean, my favorite line is a joke line. It's like when Riker says, oh, great. You know, when when oh, when the force field, know, when they're climbing up the, the ladder. Now what the hell's happened? Now the force field. <laughs> oh, great. I'm like, OK, that's a very relatable scene. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, know, I don't know that I got the great lines necessarily. Uh. Uh, Data's I am not less perfect than Lorelai. Come on. Just, it's the way he's delivering it. 
I, yeah, I think that, that, it, it colors it too much for me just the way he delivers i'm like okay whatever i i'm with lore on that when he wants to mock him because again i'm the shitty brother compared to my brother so i i see that that was pretty good but i think a lot of the stuff dr soon was saying to the to the brothers worked out really well and then i loved and maybe this is more delivery than it is content but what brett spiner was doing as lore when he was talking about it really will data you'll really like this like that stuff was really touching to me i even though you know he's gonna you know double cross him well that, yeah that's what i was saying i liked that you knew what the undercurrent was but in that moment it, he sold it completely i don't think he was lying you know what i mean like i think the acting was really saying like i don't have to like he, i don't have to put it on put him on here like he actually understood what data was about to experience yeah um, that's why he got so angry at his dad, right? At the end, <laughs> he's like, wait, you're willing to give Data this gift, but you're not willing to give me a gift kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was all it was all very realistic. I like that. All right. I have I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this line, but it's one of the great lines. It's a memed line. It's one of the greatest lines in Star Trek. One, seven, three, four, six, seven, three, two, one, four, seven, six, Charlie, three, two, seven, eight, nine, seven, 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 six, four, three, Tango, seven, three, two, Victor, seven, three, one, one, seven, eight, 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 seven, three, two, four, seven, six, seven, eight, nine, seven, six, four, three, seven, six, lock. That, okay, I love that. I love that so much because in 1990, I wasn't aware of encryption very well or how any of that stuff works. And I'm certainly no expert in it now, but I'm aware enough of that stuff now to know that that's like the most completely unbreakable thing that's ever going to be put out there. And all I can think is Data's doing that. And as he's doing it, he's thinking, try to fix that, Jordy. (laughs) So that's the security code that Data uses to lock out all command functions. According to Memory Alpha, the Star Trek wiki, the strength of Data's lockout code would potentially require require trying 3,652 combinations to break it or 8.467 times 10 to the 80th power combinations, equivalent to cracking a 269-bit key in symmetric cryptography, something that is currently impossible to do. <laughs> like there is no messing around with that. I don't think the writers yeah. even knew that. They're just like, just do a really long one that will be impossible. <laughs> so we can't have, I mean, and there's a reason, right? Because you can't have the scene where Jordy and Wesley are looking at the computer and they're like, I got it. You know, they can't it's have that Tuxa. scene. <laughs> <laughs> they just get it. spot. The, the, it's the worst scary. part of the Watchmen graphic novel, you know, is when they break, uh, when they break Ozymandias' uh, code. So like they didn't do that here. They didn't make that mistake. And I like that. So Riker, you said he had, you liked his line. He also had a, a just a, a fun line that you never think about. It's just like a real line, but it's one they never really talk about. The only way we knew we had come out of warp was by looking out a window. You know, because I, they're so I like that. Up. I like that a lot too. Yeah. That uh, you, you never, they don't very often acknowledge the fact that there are windows on the ship. And uh, so I, I did like that. Dr. Sung saying to himself, I've always loved that face. <laughs> Brent Spiner. God. I think that was, they, they put that in because, okay, there's some idiots that watch this show. We need to make it clear if no one knows that this is the same actor playing both people. Um, of course, he's going to make him his Android look like himself too. That's the other thing. Yeah. So. When, he's, when he's in his prime as well, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. This is your lucky day, Data. You found your long lost father and he's alive. What do you think of that? I like that line just because it's one of those breaking the fourth wall kind of, but I think I like the delivery and I like the addition of what do you think of that? I, I, mm-hmm. I thought that was nice. Oh, yep. just to step back to your point about looking the same. So in Star Trek Picard season three, we see at least according to the way the trailer was cut, 
what appears to be lore. Jordy says lore. So you would assume Brent Spiner being in the cast that lore is in this um, mm. thing. And uh, that's also probably why they're bringing in Dr. Mori or Professor Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes episodes, uh-huh. because they he was created as a nemesis who's smart enough to defeat Data. Data and lore are basically the same. But because Brent Spiner is almost 70, he looks older. And then Lore looks older. He also has like human skin. But I wonder if they're going to do the idea of, well, there is a difference between Lore and Data. It's a Blade Runner situation where uh, Lore will get old and die. Yeah, there's an expiration date. And uh, Lore didn't know that. And for some reason, never thought, and Dr. Sung never bothered to tell Lore that. Although he does have that line, there are questions I can answer. But um Anyway, I just, you just made me think Well, if that, Laura is moment. supposed to be so smart, he would have realized like I did when he was like 37 that, oh man, I'm not looking <laughs> so This isn't working out, yeah. Ah, that's more gray <laughs> than I realized. What's happening here? Like when he's managing the Borg because he later takes over a Borg uh, collective. He's like, man, managing the Borg is a lot of work. It's a lot harder than I would have thought. Am I getting old? <laughs> no, it's impossible. <laughs> but also- lore spinoff series where just that's nothing right. ever goes right for lore that's right that's right well in fairness to lore's time cycle in season one when they find him he's been disassembled for however 20 years i think data mm-hmm. says he's been in starfleet and then a- after season seven well then he spends a bunch of time in space floating around in space for two years and then from like season three until three season seven he's with the borg and then data shoots him and he gets deactivated and disassembled again so no, rough life for he's, him. He's like the he's Frank spent, Grimes yeah. of, yeah. of Star of Star Trek. He yeah. spent a lot of time disassembled um, or off. Okay. LaForge telling Dr. Crusher, um, this is when they're about to do a test on the force field. If all goes well, you shouldn't notice a thing. Make sure it goes well, Commander. I liked her saying that. I think this is why I like it. I like when the writers take the time to try to make every line count or put mm-hmm. a little color on it or it just when you're in these episodes where there's not a lot of action and you're on limited sets, those things count. And that, that stood out to me. Well, and also uh, Brent Spiner singing was fun too, when he got to do the, oh, right. uh, the songs it's, of the prophet were valiant and bold. Yes. It's a public domain song. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, great singing. Anytime Brent Spiner loves to get a chance to sing there. Um, the computer should, this is when they've figured out how to make the transporter trick the transporter into thinking they are data so that they can use it and beam down and see where he went. Riker says the computer should think all three of us are data. I just hope we don't all beam back looking like data. Yeah. I thought, thought that was funny. <laughs> Could be an improvement for later season. Writers, <laughs> Burn. <laughs> wow, I'm sorry. Dr. Nguyen Sung. I liked his, why does a painter paint? Hmm. Why does a boxer box? You know he what Michael Yoda used to like. say? He, he yes, was, he was. Really... He was dressed like Yoga, Yoda. Yeah, and he was channeling the you know first scene on Empire Strikes Back. You know when Yoda's poking Luke with the the stick and being enigmatic and everything. It was definitely what he was going for. I've got two more lore lines. Do you have any more lines? No, I don't think so. Okay, then the last two are these two lore lines. This is after Doctor Sung's put in the emotion chip, thinking it's Data, and then Lore's talking to him and slinging some insults at him, and then. Dr. Sung's like, what's the matter, Data? Why are you an asshole now? <laughs> and then Laura says, often wrongs, got a broken heart. Can't even tell his sons apart. Um, and I like that he also mocked the season one. I think it was Gene Roddenberry's last script, Data Lore. So the fact that they're kind of mocking a line in a Gene Roddenberry script, because mm. the nickname for Dr. Sung was often wrong Sung. And it's yeah. like, that's a, and then Laura's like, that's a clunky rhyme. It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, this was an interesting time for Roddenberry on the show, too, because he was getting marginalized to the nth degree around this time. Yeah, he'd and, be dead within a year after this episode aired. Yeah, and I just because year. I was bored, I was reading the one before this, Family, um, he hated the script, and he was like in the room, and he like told the writers he hates the script, this sucks, we're never doing this one. And they basically, the, you know, Berman and uh, Pilar or whatever, went to the writers and said, don't listen to him, we'll take care of Gene. And like, the, then the episode just got done. So this was definitely the time where Roddenberry was on the outs. And then once Lore's... Uh, confronting his dad physically and the emotion chips working he stops and it's more the acting but just the way he's reacting to the emotion chip kicking in mm-hmm. well, he, like goes, he took a shot of whiskey or something yeah he goes i don't know exactly what it's doing but it's doing something uh very shining <laughs> kind of it, moment there also a, an interesting like you know i don't know that they had dissent in mind when they were doing this episode but like you know this is again they're they're not serializing but they're like okay well we could definitely bring back evil lore later and maybe he's even more evil now yeah that's a great point the anton Caridian award for best performance i mean you've got to give it to brent spiner here i mean he's he's over the top in some places um it's definitely a, a sort of a look at me thing but he does a great job he he nails it i think and does exactly what you needed to do for this and this was sort of a his tour de force and you know he was he was the the center of this episode of which of the three does he do the best job with which of the three lore i think he does the best job with lore because i i think lore is like the most interesting of the three characters i mean it's easy to say that because he's not seen that often he's only in a handful of episodes but Laura is a more nuanced, more interesting, more fun character. And, and you can tell Brent Spiner knows that character. He probably created that character. You know, I'm sure he worked with the writers to do that. Whereas Data was the job he was given. Um, he does a great job with Laura. I think he's fantastic in this. All right. That gives us, uh, leads us into the Shatner here. And um, I kind of feel like it's Brent Spiner again. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> he, he's definitely a little Shatnery as Dr. Soon. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's hard to say anybody other than him. He's definitely chewing the scenery, but I'm glad he's doing it. I mean, give the guy some credit. He has to play an emotionless android for, you know, how many hundreds of episodes. Let him have this. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm also going to give an honorary mention to the music cue when Dr. Sung reveals to his sons that he's dying. Oh. was it was it a little too poignant i don't remember it was a little too poignant it was ron i think it's ron jones it sounds like ron jones and he, he just he really went for it after this season i think they really flatten out the score and mm-hmm. star trek starts stops having memorable music in the shows and i wonder if this was like dealing with ron jones just doing these very you know having to rein him in um, maybe is part of the problem or this might have been like uh, one of their uh, evidence pieces for trial when they're like what? let's make the music suck um, anyway which Little part of this yeah which part of this incident are they teaching at Starfleet Academy well they, they are definitely going back to basics on bridge security at this point <laughs> <laughs> I mean this is a, this is an all stop order all that the essential ships are back here and we are now talking about who has the right to do what on a ship? Yeah. So here's my, here's my thought on that. If you had to parse that or like find some like nuance, cause that, that's like a huge undertaking. There's gotta be like a software patch or even a firmware <laughs> patch where you have to, it has to be a concurring order and the computer has to be able to recognize that you are physically where you are making the order from. 
Oh, gee, so my like, iPhone won't even turn on unless it sees my face. You would think that yeah. taking over an entire starship would, would require something a little bit more. Uh, yeah, it's easier to self-destruct a starship, you <laughs> know, right. in this universe than it is. So, yeah, like, at least they, it takes three people. Yes. So the the Enterprise knows, like, they detected Lore's ship entering orbit. I didn't mention that as a great scene, but I liked the beat where they get on the bridge finally, and they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's happening and what they can do. And and rather than the episode just kind of fall back to sleep and give us some basic exposition, it advances it a little bit more because now we get this idea of there's another ship coming. And then, I, then we get the reveal of Lore's on board it. But we didn't know that. I just thought it was cool. I, it was very cool. And so I've gotten this. I, I've never written anything. I've never, you know, that kind of stuff. I've never written a script or anything. But I've become very fascinated with exposition. Um, and it's, you know, bad exposition sticks out to me way more than it used to. And, uh, clever exposition is something I watch. I, I'm almost, it's almost impossible for me to watch a, a TV show or a movie or something without being like, oh, there's some exposition that was done well, or that was done poorly. They did it really well in this. And mm. I think that, you know, that was actually kind of an interesting, almost kind of creepy scene. There's a ship coming in. There's no life form. Now I know watching it again, that lore's on that ship, but you didn't know that the first time. And it was yep. like, what the hell's that? What's going on right there? And, uh, you know, I I thought when I was watching it in 1990, I specifically remember thinking, uh-oh, the Borgs are back. You know, because... Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. Why wouldn't you? That's two episodes Just two ago. episodes so, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, absolutely. So on that beat, they scan the ship. They don't detect any life signs in there. So theoretically, the Enterprise can't detect an Android life form. You can't argue that they would have modified the Enterprise's, this is nerd talk, sorry, that you can't argue like the Enterprise recognizes when it's data because then it would have been able to recognize that lore was on that ship. So well, it doesn't. Well, data always has this communicator, so that's like Yes, he it. always has a communicator, right. So you would think that the command function transfer or like limiting command functions by the captain's order, it'd be like, well, okay, is the is the location where I'm being asked this the location where the captain is? Is the captain the one speaking it to me through his comm badge? So I don't know. It's obviously yeah, I mean, a dramatic device. But. It's very clear that the captain is in engineering, but he's also at a at a computer station on the bridge giving orders, like severe yes. orders. <laughs> right. Okay. How would the predecessor show or captain resolve the conflict? So oh. that would be Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. Yeah, I'm I'm or I'm not the best series. person to ask about that. I you know, there would be some sort of this this episode would probably not take place in Kirk's universe, I don't think. This would be a very Spock episode, you know. It's a vaguely similar setup to the menagerie where Spock yeah. does hijack the Enterprise and Kirk's solution was I'm I'm going to get in the shuttle and I'm going to go after it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and 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 the shuttle craft runs out of fuel and causes the Enterprise to turn around and pick him up. But it's kind of like what I had said earlier. Kirk's running at the problem full speed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, he's probably banging he's his shoulder on, into the force field. <laughs> yeah. He, or he's, he's putting on uh, you know, an environmental suit and literally going out the hatch of the ship to try to get to, you know, to the shuttle bay from the outside or something. And oh, that would have been so field. cool. That would have been so cool. <laughs> this would be an action episode with, with another captain in charge. But <laughs> That's right. Inconceivable as a Kirk episode in a lot of ways, but then again, even with the menagerie, that wasn't the most Kirky thing ever. I don't think so. All right, so that leads us to our final question here: Trek, marry or kill brothers? <sighs> marry. Oh, you're marrying it. Okay, I'm marrying it. Yeah, I, okay. I like this episode a, a great deal. I, I'm fond of it in a 
moderate way. <laughs> well, I won't uh, disagree with my guest. I'll marry it as well. So we'll give this a marry. I am glad that I watched it. <laughs> I am too. Uh, I'm so happy that this was the one that you asked me to, to watch because it just it just hit a bunch of buttons that are that are important for me right now and are I'm dealing with. Unless my brother killed me with COVID, then I'll probably feel differently about it. We'll see. Well, yeah, TBD. I mean, this one's <laughs> going to come out. Hopefully this one comes out and you're still with us. So, Boy, uh, you're going to have a great way to promote this if <laughs> not. Right. Use it. I don't care. Go for it. Cup of coffee is your Substack. Cupofcoffee.substack.com. Basically, I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about um, your book? Anything that you're free to pitch? It's a free lane. Um, well, the, the the big thing in my life is cup of coffee. It's a, a baseball, half of it's baseball, the other half of it's politics, ranting, movies, sometimes Star Trek, sometimes other things, whatever I want to talk about. I did have a big uh, thing about 2010, the year we made contact a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. Um, but that's just where I gab every day. And you can subscribe there. And uh, until Twitter dies, I'm at Craig Calcaterra at Twitter. And uh, I really liked I really liked your book. So also, if you have any interest in in what it means to reinvent modern sports fandom, you should definitely check out Rethinking Fandom, which is available. Craig, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Brian. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back next week with an all new episode. Until then, TMK out. <laughs>